Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the fourth Sunday in Lent. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who through your word reconcile the human race to yourself in a wonderful way, grant, we pray, that with prompt devotion and eager faith, the Christian people may hasten toward the solemn celebrations to come. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the second book of Chronicles. All the heads of the priesthood, and the people too, added infidelity to infidelity, copying all the shameful practices of the nations, and defiling the temple that the Lord had consecrated for himself in Jerusalem. The Lord the God of their ancestors tirelessly sent their messenger after messenger. Since he wished to spare his people and his house, but they ridiculed the messengers of God. They despised his words. They laughed at his prophet until at last the wrath of the Lord rose so high against his people that there was no further remedy. Their enemies burnt down the temple of God, demolished the walls of Jerusalem, set fire to all its palaces and destroyed everything of value in it. The survivors were deported by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon They were to serve him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. This is how the word of the Lord was fulfilled, that he spoke through Jeremiah. Until this land has enjoyed its Sabbath rest, until seventy years have gone by, it will keep Sabbath throughout the days of its desolation. And in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord that was spoken through Jeremiah, The Lord roused the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, to issue out a proclamation and to have it publicly displayed throughout his kingdom. Thus Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has ordered me to build up a temple in Jerusalem, in Judah. Whoever there is among you, of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let my tongue be silenced if I ever forget you. Let my tongue be silenced if I ever forget you. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept, remembering Zion. On the poplars that grew there, we hung our harps. Let my tongue be silenced if I ever forget you. For it was there that they asked us, our captors for songs, our oppressors for joy, sing to us, they said, one of Zion's songs. Let my tongue be silenced, if I ever forget you. Or how could we sing the song of the Lord on alien soil? If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue be silenced, if I ever forget you. O let my tongue cleave to my mouth, if I remember you not, if I prize not Jerusalem above all my joys. Let my tongue be silenced, if I ever forget you. 
A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. God loved us with so much love that he was generous with his mercy. When we were dead through our sins, he brought us to life with Christ. It is through grace that you have been saved and raised us up with him and gave us a place with him in heaven, in Christ Jesus. This was to show for all ages to come, through his goodness, towards us in Christ Jesus, how infinitely rich he is in grace. Because it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by anything of your own, but by a gift from God, not by anything that you have done, so that nobody can claim the credit. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus, to live the good life, as from the beginning he has meant us to live it. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. God loved the world so much he gave us his only Son, that all who believe in him might have eternal life. Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to Nicodemus, The Son of Man must be lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Yes, God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not be lost, but may have eternal life. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. No one who believes in him will be condemned, but whoever refuses to believe is condemned already, because he has refused to believe in the name of God's only Son. On these grounds is sentence pronounced, that though the light has come into the world, men have shown they prefer darkness to light because their deeds were evil. And indeed, everybody who does wrong hates the light and avoids it, for fear his actions should be exposed. But the man who lives by the truth comes out into the light, so that it may be plainly seen that what he does is done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the Gospel today presents us with a rather curious image. Jesus says, The Son of Man must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, this goes back to the book of Numbers, to a story when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they were being plagued by venomous snakes. Now, it's actually quite a fascinating story because the people complain to God through Moses about the food that they're being given, the manna that comes down from heaven. They're complaining about the food that God is sustaining them with. They're bored. They want something else. They want something that's a little more tasty, a little more nourishing, something that's more to their palate, I suppose. Uh, And God gets grumpy um, and he sends these 
fiery serpents, you know, venomous snakes. And the bite of these snakes is deadly. So the people cry out to God and and God gives a command to Moses to make a bronze statue of one of these snakes and put it on a standard. And whenever one of the Israelites was bitten by a snake, they would gaze upon the bronze statue and they would be healed from the poison. In fact, this image of the snake is something that's long been associated with medical professions. You know, if you've gone to a doctor's surgery, you know, a logo of, you know, two snakes intertwining up a staff, um, like that's referring to the image in the scriptures that symbolizes health. And looking upon this standard is what brought healing. Now, that's a really bare bones account of, of what's written in the book of Numbers, because weirdly, the church doesn't give us the reading from the book of Numbers as the first reading in the liturgy today. Um, we've, we've got instead the one about um, exile in the second book of Chronicles. And, oh, man, there's a lot to say about that one, too. But um, the event here that uh, is being referred to in the gospel about Moses lifting up the serpent in the desert, um, even that story in the book of Numbers is already a repeat of a story that's very, very familiar. You see, what was going on in the desert for the Israelites was exactly what was going on for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So we see God's people complaining about the food. uh, And as a consequence, we see a serpent that brings death. It all sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? It's a reiteration of the problem of the Garden of Eden, of the rejection of God's loving providence, of his care. At bottom, it's an acknowledgement that, you know, maybe God isn't love. For Adam and Eve, the temptation comes, well, look, you know, maybe... When we do eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like we'll actually be more because God's holding out on us. He's, he's not giving us everything that will make us what we could be, what we want to be. Uh, and so we need to rebel against him and we need to reach out and grasp what he won't give us. To get ourselves out from underneath his thumb, to establish our own independence, Well, you know, we can see exactly the same thing going on now in the desert. They're being sustained by this miraculous bread from heaven, this manna, a pure expression of God's loving providence. But it's not quite to their taste. I can imagine, yeah, sure, you probably get bored of it, maybe. Um, However, what's the alternative? It's death. There's nothing else. The Israelites are entirely dependent upon God. And I tell you, that's not a bad thing when you know that God loves you. Doesn't seem that that's the space that Adam and Eve are in. Um, And it doesn't seem that that's the space that the Israelites are in either. They're not trusting themselves to God. So here's the thing. What happens if you don't Trust yourself to the one who is the source of your life, the one on whom you're entirely dependent. Well, you die. (laughs) It's kind of a spiritual physics. Um, And that's exactly what happens with these serpents. 
turning away from God brings death. Turning towards God, on the other hand, brings life. Now, what's curious about this, though, is that what goes up on the standard is a bronze serpent. And you kind of, like, pause and do a little bit of a double take. Like, wait, hang on a second. Why why a serpent? Isn't the serpent the thing that brings death? Isn't the serpent the enemy? Well, yeah, it is. So why put it on the standard? Well, there's a bit of an irony that's going on here. The serpent who was the cause of death in God's hands becomes the source of life. You look at the bronze serpent, you live. It becomes a sign of God's saving plan. Did you doubt that God loved you? Did you think he didn't will life for you? Look at the serpent on the standard. In God, even death is transformed into life. So can you see what God's doing here? We hear in the gospel today that the Father has sent his Son into the world, not for condemnation, but for restoration, for healing, for forgiveness, for life. So I'm sure by now we've put the pieces together. The Son of Man must be lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert. Well, Jesus hanging upon the cross is the sign, is the one who brings us salvation, the one who brings us new life. Now, what's implied in all this talk about saving and redemption is the fact that we stand in need of redemption. We need saving. And, you know, when we look back at the Old Testament to the Israelites in the desert, it's clear that, you know, they needed a bronze serpent on the standard because their sickness was really apparent. If they didn't have the bronze serpent, they dropped dead from snakebite. But perhaps it's not quite so clear to us that we need saving. What is it that we need saving from? Well, there are two realities, two great disorders in our human existence. There's sin and death. Now, no one needs to be convinced about the reality of death. We're confronted with it frequently enough through the news, um, and especially through the passing of our loved ones. We feel the weight of it and how inevitable it is. But perhaps today more than ever we need to be convinced of the reality of sin. It's somewhat ironic that maybe after the bloodiest century in human history that we lose sight of the disordered tendencies of the human heart that tug us so easily toward evil and resist our progress in good. But when you think about it, no one needs to be taught how to be bad. You don't need to train your children to misbehave. But in fact, we have to go to great effort in order to turn toward the good. If you're a bit of a fan of Robert Barron and Word on Fire, um, this will sound very familiar. He's very fond of drawing from St. Augustine in order to describe sinfulness as being curvatus in se, curved in on yourself. And I think Bishop Barron's right. It, it describes the nature of sin so beautifully, so perfectly. There's the problem. We're curved in on ourselves. It's our natural posture. In the gospel, Jesus tells us, though the light has come into the world, men have shown they prefer darkness to light because their deeds 
we're evil. The light can't come in if we're curved in on ourselves. So what happens if you turn your back on God who is the source of life? Well, we found out with the serpents in the book of Numbers. We found out with the serpent in the Garden of Eden. If you break the bond with God who is the source of life, don't be surprised when your life runs out. We start to see just how sin and death go hand in hand. One follows on from the other. Not because God's angry with sinners, but because we're free. We're free to turn away from God. And there's that terrible reality, that frightening possibility that's present in the gospel today. Whoever refuses to believe is condemned already because he has refused to believe in the name of God's only Son. But here's the thing, right? God has not come into the world in order to condemn it, but quite the opposite, so that everyone who believes in him may not be lost, but may have eternal life. The Son of Man mounts the standard, the cross. And it's there we see God's saving plan. Just as the serpent in the desert was lifted up by Moses to become the healing of the snake bite. Well, now Jesus is raised up on the cross in order to become the healing from the bite of the true serpent. The serpent which brings sin and death. This is a sign to us of God's saving plan. This is a sign to us of his great rescue mission. What more proof does he need to offer us that he loves us and wants us to be fully alive? That our life is not found in rebelling from him, but in fact, placing ourselves under his love and care by recognizing our complete dependence upon him, but finding that that dependence is entirely ennobling. He makes us more. He makes us everything that we have longed to be. He makes us fully alive. So we're halfway through Lent. uh, And we're getting ready to celebrate the Paschal mystery. Jesus' suffering, death and resurrection. The moment when he will be lifted up on the standard. And the moment when he will be lifted up from the standard in his resurrection. Jesus is indeed the remedy. And here's the point. God sent his son into the world because he loved the world. We don't need to run and hide from God like Adam and Eve. We don't need to cling to our rebellion from God as if that were going to be the thing that makes us more. God loves us so much he sent his only son. God loves us so much that everything we see that everything we receive from his hands is for us and for our salvation. He longs for us to be alive and fully alive. And when we rest in his love, we find true peace. This is what makes it possible for us to come out into the light. I find these last words of Jesus in the gospel today truly powerful. 
Everybody who does wrong hates the light and avoids it for fear that his actions should be exposed. But the man who lives by the truth comes out into the light, so that it may be plainly seen that what he does is done in God. My brothers and sisters, we can have the courage to come into the light when we know that God is love when he comes to save and not to condemn. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.